0: I uh, had a great time today. I got to minister to a family from the middle of the Odessa area. They drove down. And they had uh, two daughters. And one of the daughters was a v- very young. Well, both the girls were teenagers. But uh, the youngest teenager, I don't know how old she was, 15, I guess. I'm just guessing. Uh, I have never seen a girl that young with carpal tunnel. But she had carpal tunnel. So... I mean, I attacked Carpal Tunnel like a duck on a June bug. And I've never had a failure. I've never seen the king fail me with Carpal Tunnel. So when that little 15-year-old girl, her hand wouldn't work, I reached up, I immediately got up my chair, went over there and just grabbed her wrist and in the name of Jesus, rebuked those spirits, commanded them to leave. And the king instantly healed her of Carpal Tunnel. Wow. Then her mother... Her mother wanted me to pray for everything wrong with everybody after that. <laughs> she saw her daughter healed instantly of carpal tunnel. I think just think the Lord gave us the keys to the kingdom. He gave us all this power and all this authority to you. Made us His ambassadors. He said, "Now you speak in My name, and I will make these things happen for you." And it makes life fun, doesn't it, Gloria? Wow, makes life fun. Praise the King. I'm so grateful. Well tonight in our Bible study, last week we talked, we had just gotten down to the part of the new covenant. And just a little bit, the new commandment that goes with the new covenant. And the new covenant, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. We're going to first talk about the old covenant. But the new covenant has one command only. Only one. A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. Isn't that something? That's all Jesus told us to do under the new covenant is to love one another. And he says, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Then the old law, the old law is fulfilled in our new commandment of love. Now the old law is as follows in Exodus chapter twenty. And when we go and read this old law, This is, this is what the old law required. And and God spoke all these words saying in Exodus chapter 20, start with verse 1, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Now that right there, because of that, that's why I don't have any pictures of Jesus. I will never have a church or a facility that will have a picture of Jesus hanging on the wall if I know it's there. I won't have one myself. I don't believe in it because there is no pictures of Jesus. We don't have any pictures of Jesus. And then I know this one woman that had a beautiful picture of Jesus. She had bought in some store. She hung it in the foyer of her home. And every time she'd come in, she'd stop in the foyer of her home and she'd sit there and look at that beautiful picture. And she was just, she got to where she'd even cry a little bit over that picture when she'd look at it. And one day the king spoke to her, and this was his words. If you keep looking at that picture, you're not going to know who I am when I come. So she took the picture off the wall and got rid of it. Well, see, we don't know. We don't have any pictures of Jesus. There is no pictures of Jesus. So I don't want anybody to bring me a picture. I've had two or three people come and say, I have a beautiful picture of Jesus I'd like to hang on your wall. I say, I'm not interested. There is no pictures of Jesus. And right there... In the commandments, he said, we shall not make unto us any graven images. Well, some churches have all kinds of images of Jesus and everything else all over the place. But I won't ever have one because Jesus told me not to. So I believe in abiding by the word. word, Well, yeah, any graven image, it could be. It could be anything. I mean, they could even take a stone and chisel it out. And just, the Lord says, when they made an, an altar, not even to put a, a chisel onto any of the stones because you make a mark on it. And He said, don't do that. Use them just exactly like the, I made them. You know, don't even put a mark or a chisel on them to even make any kind of an image whatsoever. He said, if you're going to make an altar before me, go out and get uncut stones and bring them up, and stack them up there. Yeah. And that's the way he did it. He would not let you put any kind of image. I mean, you you could take... You can make any kind of images you want to. You can take stones. You can chisel them out and make pictures. You can make a picture of David or Donna or Cheryl or anybody else. But don't make one of Jesus. You know, it's okay. If you want to make a beautiful statue of one of you, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, if we got a... If we got a uh, if we knew what Peter, James and John looked like if they wanted to make images of them that's okay. You can make those. You can make them in 3D. You can make them in a wax museum. You can do anything you want to. But don't make one of Jesus. Because we don't know what he looks like. We really don't know what he looks like. So if somebody does make one and even like you go to the wax museum, they got pictures, they got deals of Jesus. Well, you've got to realize that's a piece of wax. That's not Jesus. So you don't worship that. You know, that's just something that represents an image of the king. But we're not supposed to make anything to worship. And that's, that's the difference. If you make something and you consider that Jesus, then you're worshiping that. And he said, don't do that. Because that is not me. So, when he says don't do that, Then in verse uh, 5, he says, you shall not bow down yourself to them. See, that's when you worship them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. I visit the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, who is it that hates God? Anybody that does not keep his commandments hates God. People say, well, I don't hate him. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. So if you don't obey him, you hate him. There's no two ways about it. There's no in-between ground. You either love God or you hate God. So somebody said, well, I go to church. I don't hate God, but I don't do what he says. Well, then the word says you hate him and he will visit the iniquities of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of the children. That's kind of scary when you think about what your children may have to suffer because of your sin. And some people will tell you that there's no such thing as generational curses anymore, but I'm going to tell you that's not true. Generational curses are here. I've seen too many people that have been sick and afflicted, And if there was no such thing as a generational curse, no child would ever be born with a sickness and disease. But many children are born with sickness and disease. Many of them. I mean, we go back to your relative, Gloria. I mean, that little lady, you know, that little lady that was born when she was born, she hadn't committed no sin. I mean, she's just a brand new little girl. But her liver is failing from day one. And it wasn't her sin, but it was the sin of her mother. And when you went over there and got her mother to confess that sin and then rebuked that devil and prayed over that little child, I mean, that little child was instantly healed. You know, But it wasn't until Mama repented. But after Mama repented, the little girl that wasn't going to live three days is now must be about two years old or something like that. She, I've seen her several times. She's been here, runs around here in place. If it hadn't been for this little lady sitting right over here, that little girl would have died. Hadn't been for you, Gloria. That little girl would have died because you had learned and studied the word. And you developed faith. And so when you told her mother she had to stop living with that boy, stop committing sexual immorality, because that curse was being passed to her little child, because that child was born out of wedlock, and that devil had legal right to kill that child. And when a brand new baby is born with a liver failure, is something wrong. And then if the doctor says she's not going to live three days... And then Gloria gets the lady to repent and stops having sex with this boy, and then Gloria prays and the little girl's well, and two years later she's just a bouncing, wonderful, beautiful little girl running around here having a great time. You better hope you got a relative like you, Gloria. You know, if you don't have you're in trouble. You know, but there's not very many people got relatives like you. They don't know the word. But this is what happens when you learn the word. You know, you can tell people the truth because these sins, God says that when we sin, he visits that iniquity or that sin of the fathers or the parents upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. And then in verse 6, he says, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, that's the part that we like. If we love him and keep his commandments, then he shows mercy to us. And he blesses us in everything we put our hands to. And, of course, I don't know. I think we're all in the same boat. All of us want to be blessed instead of cursed. I know I do. I love to be blessed. And when I think about that, I think about the blessings and curses. When I was raised up as a child, I I don't remember this, but my mother told me about it. I, I must have been about five. One day I come in there, and there was a, a deal of toothpicks, mother said, sitting on the uh, table. And I th- a little five or six year old boy, I just run up here and grabbed that and just throw it off in the floor. I mean, you wouldn't think that a child would do such a dumb thing. But for some strange reason, I did. And my dad says, son, pick those up. And I said, no. Well, I mean, the curse fell up on my backside. You know, I mean, the curse fell up on me. The razor strap, I mean, Dad had one of them things, That when I said no, he over to forget that razor strap. And after four or five good licks across my backside of that razor strap, it changed my mind. You know, so the curse fell upon me. Well, you know, nobody likes to be cursed by God, but he says he chastens them he loves. So when you don't walk in obedience to his word, he chastens you. I don't like the razor strap. Do you, Michael? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Guaranteed. Oh, goodness. When we grow up, most of us, of course, my mother, I don't know how Michael's mother was. She might have been like my mother. My mother would go out to the garden and get a little peach limb. Man, that little peach limb. She could wear your legs out with that. She could make a good boy out of you in a hurry. You too, uh, aren't there? <laughs> Same thing. Well, so. You had to go get it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, goodness gracious. So, there's not anything like the curse falling upon you. So, we want the blessings to fall upon us. And he says, he shows mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So, that's what I'd much rather do. I'd rather love the Lord and. And keep his commandments and do what he says, and get to see him bless us. In fact, tonight, you know, I was thinking, about I was sitting in the car studying. Montreal ran in. She said, "We need to leave early, so we, I can stop by Target because I've got to buy all these things." So she ran in as fast as she could run in, and went in and talked to the manager and did everything she did to get a, a special discount. And of course, they, once she found they found out she was buying for Christ for the nations and all the stuff. They even give her an extra 10% discount on everything, and I mean to tell you, she came out with a guy or two, whatever, with two big cars, and I thought, where are we going to put all that stuff in the car? (laughs) And when we got started, she said, I hope the cam order's not very big tonight. I said, well, since the kids wasn't there last week, I had enough stuff to last over, so I didn't order anything, so I thought, wow, am I glad, because the car is packed out. I don't know where I'd put anything else, but... Isn't it wonderful to be blessed by God, you know, to be obedient, to do what he says? And, I mean, the other morning, Cheryl was up, no, she she was up really, really, I guess I should say early in the morning, working with packing all those uh, uh, toys and all that stuff, and so it was really, really late when she went to bed. And by 10 o'clock, her phone is ringing off the wall, you know, I mean, people are calling and I went back in her minute. I said, wow, it's awesome. You're up already. She said, I may be setting up, but I'm not up. <laughs> she was talking on the phone. And she said, isn't this something? Uh, I forget how many hundred dollars. She said, I'm not doing anything. And God is just blowing our socks off. She said, this and call said they'd give 100. This didn't call said they'd give 200. She said, I'm just collecting money. I'm going to have a heyday spending it for these kids. And so today she rushed in the dark and that a heyday. She spent stuff and tomorrow she's going to go again. And she's going to buy stuff. And then Sunday, this Sunday afternoon, all those children, they're going to bring them from church over there and about. How many vans you say, honey? Eight or nine. Eight or nine vans. Loads of kids. Forty-four of them. And Santa Claus is going to be there, but we give everything to them kids in the name of Jesus. Santa Claus may be there, but he's not... He's not the one responsible. Them kids know Jesus is the one that gives them that stuff. But it's so wonderful to serve the king and to see him pour out these blessings upon his children. And all you got to do is be obedient. Oh, yeah, Saturday Saturday out at the ministry center. If anybody wants to come help us, we're going to have a lot of Christmas presents to wrap. You know, so what time are we going to start? About noon? Yeah, about noon, Saturday. Anybody wants to come out and help us, we'll have all kinds of these packages to wrap. You don't have to, you know, really be a professional wrapper. Just make them, you know, wrap them, tape them up, and put a bow on them. Because them kids are going to rip into them, tear into them. We just want them to look pretty good. But them kids have a ball. This will be Cheryl's fourth year to do this for these kids up here at Christ Haven. And it is a blessing to see the people every year give more and more money to help these kids. But the Lord says there... That he will show mercy upon thousands of us that love him and keep his commandments. And that's what we're all trying to do here. Verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. What do you think it means to take God's name in vain? Somebody jumps up and says G-D. Is that taking his name in vain? Oh, yeah. But what if somebody in church, you say something and somebody says, Oh, Jesus. What do you think about that? That's in vain, too. That's right, Michael. Amen. That's right. And how many people do you know, in Christians, it makes me cringe when we're talking and somebody says, Oh, God. You know, they're not talking, they're not worshiping him. They're just using his name in vain, loosely. Be careful of your words. Jesus says there, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. I mean, if you take his name in vain, I mean, there's going to be a consequence along the line somewhere. You may never put it together, You may not realize that the times that you have all these problems and trials and tests, they were due to demons because they were allowed to torment you because you used his name in vain. But most people that I've come in contact with have no idea what's going on on the earth. No idea that what's bringing your sickness and disease, what's allowing you to be tormented, but it's your sin. Your sin is allowing you to be tormented by evil spirits. And <clears throat> when you get rid of your sin, then you have to drive away these devils. I mean, these devils, I mean, they're beasts. You know, they're, I mean, it's just like here a while back. I was over at a place over in Fort Worth, and there was a, another man teaching. And, and after he got through teaching, there was four or 500 people there that night, a pretty large group. And I was going to go down. I had a couple of questions I wanted to ask him. So I thought, well, at prayer time, I'll go down and see if I might accidentally get a chance to ask him a question. He is a really good faith man. But I went down there, and when I began to get down there, I began to run into people that I knew. I mean, you know, hey, Thurman, what are you doing here? I said, well, I come over and listen to this guy teach the Word. And then all of a sudden, a woman walked up to me. She said, Thurman Scrivener, I've heard your teaching. She said, you believe everything's a demon. I said, yes, ma'am. I believe everything's a demon. That's bad. She said, well, I've got a bone spur in my foot with a big old pad on it and I can hardly walk And Don't you tell me that's a demon. I said, well, would you like to get healed or not? Well, she said, well, that's why I come down here. I want him to pray for me. I said, it's a demon. She said, it is not a demon. I reached up and grabbed her by the shoulders and I said, come out of her, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. I said, now then, stomp your foot. It's gone. She, she, she stepped down she said, my goodness, it doesn't hurt. I said, take your shoe off. She took her shoe off and had a big old pad at the bottom. I said, put your foot on the, on the floor. Stand on it. It ain't no pain there. She said, my goodness, it is gone. It's not hurting. I said, I told you it was a devil. I told you it was a demon. All you had to do is kick him out. But see, we don't understand that. We don't believe that the devil, but it, I mean, that he's the one doing this. But Jesus... Our king, when he came to this earth, what did he do? Cast out demons and heal the sick. So he says, as the Father has sent me to do his will, so I send you, you go and do likewise. Well, what did Jesus do? He cast out demons. And when he cast out demons and healed the sick, what do you got to do? Cast out demons and heal the sick. I mean, you never know how many people that I've seen in my life that have had stomach problems, or shoulder problems, or back problems, or you name it, that I have reached up and laid my hand on them and said, you devil of hell, come out of them in the name of Jesus. And that's all I've said. And they were healed. I have seen that no telling how many times in my life. So, even myself. I mean, it's happened to me. I've had them myself. And when I rebuke them and they leave, well, I get healed. It's amazing how simple it is when you see it. Then he says here, In verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Then he says, six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, you're supposed to rest. Well, I have to repent, Lord. (laughs) Somebody come to me the other day and says, Thurman, you're going to have to take a day off. I said, well, gee, I don't know how I'd take it. I work for Jesus 24-7. He said, even Jesus wants you to take a day off. I said, well, okay, I'm going to have to do it. He said, the Lord put that on my heart for me to come tell you. You need to take a day off. So for a week or two, I tried. But there was a man came to church with us the other day. We picked him up early that morning, and we brought him to church with us that afternoon. And we got home about One o'clock that night. He said, wow, your Sundays are busy. I said, well, this is a pretty normal Sunday for us. I mean, we go all day long. You know, we go pray for people and and that Sunday we went out and prayed for someone and then the time you get home. You know, a lot of times it's uh, 12, one o'clock at night when we get home. And then when we get home, our day don't stop. He went to bed and we had other things to do. So... There's a lot of times when we get home from church on Sunday, we don't get to bed until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning. It happens quite often. But he says, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gates. Everybody's supposed to rest one day. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying to take that day off. For in six days, even the Lord made heaven and earth. And son, if I made heaven and earth in six days and I rested on the seventh, you can take a day off. You don't have to work seven days a week. (laughs) I think if he can do that, surely we can take a day off, right? He says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, you know, that's a commandment of God that most people don't realize he really means what he says. But I was talking to a man the other day, and he was about my age. In fact, I think he was a few years older than me. I believe he said he was 70. And he said, you know, I had a brother, but he died at 50. And I said, let me ask you a question. Both of y'all were born within a couple of years of each other. He said, oh, yeah. And lived at home together. I said, did you honor your parents? Oh, yeah. He said, you know, I always uh, obeyed mom and dad. I never give them any trouble. I said, how about your brother? Did he do that too? Oh, no. He said, with well, brother was a totally different thing. So, you know, he was kind of rough on mom and dad. And especially when he got past 18 or so, he used, you know, he kind of called dad the old man and mom the old woman and, Stuff like that said he didn't really honor mom and dad at all. And I said, and he only lived fifty. What was the reason for his death? He said he just had a sudden heart attack and died at fifty. Isn't that amazing? You know, who would ever, who would ever stop and put this together? You know, if we were to check This book, we live by this book, and this book is true, and it don't make no difference if you believe it or not. Your life is going to be based around these scriptures. God holds you accountable for everything in this book. And he says, honor your father and your mother. You think he meant that? Sure he did. Honor your father and your mother. And then he says, that your days may be long upon the land. Which the Lord thy God gives you. So if you do not honor your mother and father, guess what? Get ready to die early because you ain't going to live to be an old man. Now then, can you repent? Yeah, you can. If you're still alive and you've made that mistake, repent and ask God to forgive you. And then honor your mother and father and start doing what he said. And who knows? It may increase your life significantly. If God said it, I mean, I believe him, don't you, Michael? I mean, he says, honor mama and daddy. I guarantee I'm honored man. You know, i respected my mother and my dad. I helped them. I did everything I could do to help my mother and dad. But I just thought that's what all children are supposed to do, help mama and daddy. But I had a good mother and daddy, though. Praise God that I have a good mother and daddy. Then he says <clears throat> in verse 13, he says, you shall not kill. This, this is the old law we're reading now. You shall not kill. Then he said, You shall not commit adultery. Did you know somebody told me something? Uh, they called me at the ministry center. Of the day and they said, We need prayer for this little girl. She's pregnant. I said, Okay, does she go to church? Yes, she does. She goes to a certain church in a certain area, in a certain city. Wasn't around here anywhere close. And I said, well, what about the boy? I mean, you know, I said, how old is she? Oh, she's only like 24 or 5 or something. And she's pregnant. She's going to have a hard time. Uh, this is her first baby and so on. I said, well, is she married? I said, no, she's not married. I said, well, you know, if she goes to church, the pastor ought to be teaching them that they're not supposed to have sex out of wedlock. And I said, well... The pastor is married and has four children, but he's the father of this child. <laughs> you want to know why there ain't no power in our churches? A 24-year-old girl. And this woman said, I know this girl told me about this, but said, I'm hesitant to tell anybody because said, if the word gets out and he's uh, been sleeping with this 24-year-old girl committing adultery, said he's got four children, and he's like 40, and his children are way on up there and said he's going to bust the marriage wide open, going to break the heart of all the kids and going to cause a divorce between him and his wife. I thought to myself, how do you pray in a situation like that? What do you do? I mean, here I am saying the pastor ought to be teaching the people what the Word says, and he's the one that's committing the adultery. Isn't that amazing? That just... That just blows me away. You know, that, that... I mean... Did God say, you shall not commit adultery? He didn't stutter when he said that, did he? And he meant, not what in the... Do what? He, he also meant, Thou shalt not oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, Pamela, the one of the young men that I prayed for a couple of years ago... That was down in his back. That was his sin. Not committing the act. But he looked at pretty girls. And he went from here to here. And he got to thinking about how wonderful it would be to have sex with these girls. And that put him down on his sick bed with his back. And he was down where he could not walk. And when I got him to repent of that sin. And I prayed to pray for him. God instantly healed that young man. Instantly healed him. And... A year and a half later, a friend of his that he works for called me and told me, he said, the boy's still doing good. He hasn't had any problems at all since you prayed for him that day. Well, see, I told him, stop sinning. I mean, sin has a consequence, doesn't it, Gina? I mean, it has a consequence. I don't care who you are, what you are. If you play in the devil's world, you're going to suffer stealing, killing, and destroying. That's just the way it is. Sometimes you really get to see it. Then he says, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Now then, a lot of people steal that don't realize they're stealing. You know, I mean, people in the, in the workforce out there today, I know I work for LSD Sky SkyShift <clears throat> here at DFW Airport. Of course, I worked for a food operation for 29 years as an engineer. The last seven of them was right here at DFW Airport for SkyShift. And whenever the 9/11 attack came <clears throat> and we were required to put guards at every door and check everything and frisk everybody coming in and going out, our food cost went down about 30 to 40,000 dollars a month. That's what people were stealing and carrying out of the place that we didn't know about. Isn't that amazing? You know, they was, we'd we'd heard people say, well, you know, Susie, I saw Susie or Jane or Bob or what, last night with a big sack of stuff going out to the parking lot. I bet that was groceries. Nah, well, they wouldn't steal anything. The lights are on and all that stuff. You know, nobody would surely do that. But it wasn't just one or two of them. When we put those guards at the gates and you could not get in or out of that plant, except you went through this little narrow door and a guard had to frisk you, our food costs went down. In fact, we had a woman one night that after, they know they're going to be fresque. I mean, they have to take their coats off and they, they look at them. They look at their clothes. If you're a man, you've got to take everything in your pockets. If you're a woman, you got pritches on, you take everything out. If you got a dress on, they look at you. They don't feel of you unless they think something's wrong. Well, one night there was a woman... That the guard was on duty that morning when she came in and the same guard was still the other night when she left. And he looked at her and he thought, you know, this woman's gained a lot of weight today. <laughs> There's something wrong. See, normally they change guards, see. But he said, something's wrong here. He said, now, I can't frisk her as a man. But he called one of the managers that was the woman and said, would you come out here and frisk this woman? And she had 36 miniature bottles of liquor in her underwear. 36. She had been there 15 years and she got fired that night and lost her job. For 36 dinky little bottles of alcohol. Isn't that amazing? Just think. God says, you shall not steal. And even when you put guards at the gate and then know you're going to be fresh, some people still try to steal. Let me tell you. You don't never get by with nothing on this earth. When you steal something, God knows and the devil knows, and you don't get by with nothing. They may have been nobody in the world down the street when you walked in the store and got something, and you walked out and you think, I got by with that, nobody will ever know. But I guarantee God knows and the devil knows. If you don't repent, you will stand judgment for that one day. But whatever it was, don't steal something. Don't take anything. The Lord says, then he says, in verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You're never to tell a lie about your neighbor. Well, <clears throat> lots of people do that. Then he says in verse 17, You shall not covet or desire your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his man servant, nor his maid servant, nor his ox, nor his ass. Now that it's a donkey and nor anything that is thy neighbors You says donkey right yeah some of the King James doesn't I mean that's what they used to call a donkey was an ass but that's what they are called but you know the term today to me is a lot better when they turn you know say donkey I'd rather say donkey but that's what's written' it's in King James but you're not supposed to covet any of these things none of them and all the people saw the thunderings. Now, I can only imagine this scene when God gave them this commandments that day. And the people saw all the thunderings and the lightnings. I mean, you know, when you're outside and a little storm comes up and just a great big clap of thunder, boom, and a bay, or you see a great big lightning strike over there and just say it's within a couple of hundred yards of you. And I've been places where lightning hit within, in fact, I've had lightning hit within 10 feet of me. That was the most awesome thing. One night, I'd been out leading people to Jesus, getting people healed, and all kinds of stuff, and I come home and went to bed. And there was a cloud came up, and when that cloud came up, that thing, there was a lightning bolt, and I mean it, I heard that lightning bolt crash! And the lightning bolt hit, and then I immediately heard the clap of thunder that come right with it at the same time, which meant they were very close together. And it, I thought, man, and it lit up everything, inside my house and everything. I thought, wow, was that close? Well, I went ahead and rebuked the devil and commanded him to stop that nonsense. And I went to bed and slept that night. And the next morning I got up and walked outside and I looked up and the top two feet of the chimney on my house was gone. Bricks were scattered all over the place. So, a few weeks later, when I had time, it was one day, it was about noon, 10 o'clock in the morning, I guess it was, when I got started. I got out there and put my ladder up on that second story, and I carried five-gallon buckets of bricks up there and stacked them up there and stacked them up above the fireplace, and then I carried... A half of a five-gallon bucket of mortar at a time up there, and I got up and up my trowel. And by about four or five o'clock that afternoon, I had finished putting about two or three hundred brick back in that fireplace. I got it all fixed and the cap done and everything. And then I come down inside and went out and worked on my truck till about nine o'clock that night. And then I come in and turned the news on after I took a shower. And it said, by the way, now this has only been about four, five, six years ago, whatever. Well, let's see. Yeah, maybe four years ago, three or four years ago. Anyway, when I turned the news on, it said in the news said, by the way, in the Dallas area today, the temperature was hundred and four degrees today, and so if you were elderly, it would you so you better have been inside under the air conditioning, or you could have a possible heat stroke. I thought, boy, am I glad I'm a man of faith, and I'm glad I'm not elderly. I'm on the roof putting on brick, carrying them up and down that step at 104 degrees temperature, right in the heat of the day. 154 degrees sun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I can do all things through Christ what strengthens me. You know, if you don't know, if you're a child of God, I am totally, completely convinced, if you are an obedient child of God, doing what He says, ain't nothing the devil can do can take you out. Nothing. There ain't nothing can take you out until God's ready for you to go. You know, so, but if you get to thinking, oh, I'm old and I need to be in under the air conditioning or I might have a heat stroke, that devil say, you want a heat stroke? I'll be, I'll give it to you. But see, you don't go there. So anyway, I think, wow, thank you, Jesus, what we can do as sons of God. Then he says, <clears throat> after the people saw the thunderings and the lightning and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Here I am wanting to hear God's voice, and these people don't want to hear it. (laughs) I love hearing his voice, but they don't want to hear it. I mean, with the thunders and the lightnings and all that stuff, it must have been pretty impressive. You know, so... Moses was up there. God talked to him. It didn't bother him. So, I don't know. I love to hear God talk to me. It's, it's awesome to hear the king speak. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 says, Now, this was the old covenant. This, this was the old covenant that we were supposed to keep. But nobody could. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So, the new covenant, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and he's going to speak better things than what we just read in the old covenant. So, I love this. Then we get over to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It says, But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry. Jesus, Jesus had a ministry. A lot of people don't think about Jesus as a preacher and a teacher and the leader of a ministry. But he has a ministry and it's still going today. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Now, I'm liking this, aren't you, David? I like to be a member of this better covenant with these better promises. And Jesus being the mediator of this thing. I mean, I love it. Now, you cannot live in the Old Testament under the law and be a successful Christian. Lots of people try to live there. But you can't do it and be successful at it because that covenant was for spiritually dead people. Those people were spiritually dead. That was a covenant that was made with them. And they had not been born again. Now, we need to come to the new covenant to see what God is saying to you as a born-again believer. Your spirit has been recreated and made brand new. Now, we're not dead spiritually no more, if you're a Christian. If you're really a Christian. A lot of people say they're Christians, but they're really not. Because they really never accepted Jesus Christ by faith as their Lord and Savior and been a partaker of the new nature. They've not been there. And so when they say they're Christians and they still live in the world all the time. There's a problem here. There's a problem here. When you got really got saved and you become a partaker of the new covenant. You want to do what God says to do. I mean that's why you are in Bible study tonight. I mean, there's probably a thousand things most of you could do tonight that would be you know, more pleasing to the flesh than to be down here to Bible study. <clears throat> but if you really love God, you want to be where you can learn about His Word, about His power and who you are. And so you make plans to be in places where God is. I mean, I used to do this. I mean, I would study. I would go to places. Uh, when I was first learning about faith, I mean, I'd take a, a, a vacation in I said, Jan- February, I think it was. Last of January or February, when I heard about Kenneth Hagin, and how he was such a man of faith, I'd take a week off and live in a hotel for a week just to go listen to that man teach a couple hours a day. I thought, wow, this is awesome. So I went up there. Me as a Southern Baptist, first time I went to the uh, winter, uh, midwinter Bible conference up in Ramah. I mean, we go and we listen to him preach a couple hours, and that's the first time I ever Of course, I thought, you know, it's a great big church, holds like 8,000 people, the thing is humongous. And so, when I first got to looking for it, I drove up to a place and I pulled into a gas station. I said, do you have any idea where Rhema Bible Church is? He said, oh yeah, just go down that street, down there, so many blocks, turn left and said, you'll see it down on the right. I said, well, how far is it down there? Can I miss it? He said, ain't no way, unless you got both eyes closed. He said, there ain't no way you can miss it. Well, I, when I turned the corner and turned, looked, out. wow, the thing covered the whole side of the country down there. I said, now I know what this guy means. A big dome, big building, like 8,000 people could be packed in the place and all the rooms upstairs and everything. So I thought, well, gee whiz, you know, uh, I mean, I always go to church and I get there five or ten minutes before church as a Southern Baptist. You know, I mean, I get there early, ten minutes before, really early. Ain't nobody else there ten minutes still. So I thought, well... I better go half hour early here since I don't know where I'm going. I got there a half hour early and I couldn't even get close to the door. Hundreds of people were standing outside in the cold waiting to get in. I thought, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> these people knew there was something going to go on in there. They wanted and They was willing to be there on time way before. I finally got up there and I got up and I said, ma'am, You've been standing in line long? Oh, she looked at the watch and she said, oh, yeah, it opens in about 30 more minutes. She said, yeah, I've been here about two hours. I said, two hours? I said, why do you come? I said, do you come to this often? She said, every year. I said, why? She said, that man in there teaches me how life works and how to make it work for me. She said, he teaches us how the Word of God will work for us. She said, he's totally changed my life. I thought, wow. So I go in there. Finally, we get in, and the place is packed out. I can't even get downstairs. I have to get in the upper balcony because I got there so late. So anyway, I finally get in. They get started, and they sing a while and worship. And then Kenneth Hagin comes out and talks a little while. And and I was impressed with what he had to say. He's just a normal preacher, good faith preacher. And then they said, we're going to take a lunch break. And then we're going to have a healing school across the street at 1.30. I thought, good. So I went over to the healing school, and, uh, you know, there's about 1,500 people come to that. And so just a little healing school, you know, about 1,500. And so anyway, we are sitting there in this room, and this one guy that was teaching it, he's talking a few minutes. He said, oh, by the way, the Lord just spoke to me. And I thought, oh, wow, this is interesting. And he just told me that there's several of you here with back problems. And he wants to heal. Everybody's got a back problem. He said, everybody's got pain in your back. That's the only thing the Lord told me to pray for right now. But if you got problem with your back, would you stand up? And probably about 30 people all throughout stood up. He said, you got pain? Oh, yeah, you got pain? Yeah. And one girl said, yeah, I have had pain for years. He said, okay. He said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And I said... I thought he was going to pray for him. He didn't say He just said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. He said, now then, everybody in this room that's still got a pain, you remain standing. And if your pain's gone, he says, sit down. So they start doing this. And they start sitting down. And I look around. And in a couple of minutes, everybody in the room is sat down. I thought, wow, I ain't never seen nothing like this in my life. This is wonderful to see God move like this. I say, woo. I said, It's wonderful. And I thought, nah, wait a minute. wonder how much they paid them people to do that. <laughs> I mean, you know how the devil works, right? Yeah. Well, the next day at the class, one of the girls come up and she said, i got to give a testimony. So she come up on the platform and she, told, she said, I had broken my back years ago. I've been in excruciating pain. She said, my back would hurt him when he prayed for us. And so I sat down, but she said, I didn't really realize what God had done for me until I left She said, I sat here all afternoon for a couple hours, had no pain. I went home. She said, I got in the car. I did no pain. And said, I've never been able to bend over. But she said, I can. She bent over and touched her toes. She said, I am as limber as a rag. She said, I'm telling you, Jesus, the King of Kings, totally, completely healed me a while ago. Well, when I first started, I had never seen God do anything like this. This was completely, totally new to me. And I thought, wow, Lord, if I could just get there lands what I love to see you do those kind of things. Well, let me tell you. I've got there. I've seen him do those kind of things over and over and over. It's so wonderful to know that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. This new covenant that we got, let me tell you, there's no comparison to the old. When we get this new covenant, we become a new creature in Christ. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if Now there's the biggest word in the Bible. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Now then, there is no reason even to try to keep the law. All you have to do is walk in love. You don't have to try to keep the law. You don't have to even know the law. Just walk in love. And by doing this, you keep the law. Now then, let's. Hit a couple of scriptures that talks about this. Romans 13, verse 8 says, O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. So right there is a scripture that guarantees if you walk in love, you are fulfilling the law. When, if you walk in love, do you ever steal when you walk in love? No. Do you ever commit adultery when you walk in love? No, you don't do not. Do you ever covet your neighbor's house when you walk in love? No, you don't ever do any of those things when you walk in love. Now then, if you walk in love, it says all of the law is fulfilled in this that you love one another. For in verse nine it says in, in Romans thirteen nine, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this, saying, namely, you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, you notice all of these requirements come out of the last six of the Ten Commandments. They're all pertaining man to man, not to God. But this is the new commandment. We're to love one another. Then it says in verse 10, it says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So, if we walk in love, we fulfill the law of God. And when we walk in love, we walk in grace. And when we walk in God's grace, that's where his power is at. That's where the power of God is when you're walking in grace. Now, so much of the church today, they get off of this love walk, and when they do, they sin. And sin is the transgression of the law, and when you sin, you fall from grace. So, you fall off of the narrow path back out into the world. And when you fall out into the world, that's where them serpents are crawling around on the ground. That's where those vipers are at. That's where those demons are, and that's when they get you you fall from grace, you sin, you transgress the law, and you get out of love, and you got out of love with your neighbor, or your spouse, or whatever, if that happens, don't hit the ground till you've repented. Don't get there. As soon as you feel yourself falling, hey, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. I repent. Lord, jerk me back up there. Because you don't want it out here where the serpents are. I mean, the ground is fairly... Congested with demons. In fact, I'm going to tell you, Cliff. There's not a there's not a place you can step over that path, step down or go without stepping on them devils. You, <laughs> you know that, right? They will get you. I mean, they will get you. And when one of them bites you, you ain't gonna like it. You ain't going to like it. You're going to come home with some kind of a disease or some kind of sickness or whatever when you get out of grace. You go out and do some of these stupid things that God told you not to do when you fall from grace and you step out in the world. Them devils are going to bite you and sickness and disease is going to come to your house and torment is going to come to your house. That's why he told us to do no ill to our neighbor but walk in love. When you walk in love, you walk in grace. And when you walk down that straight and narrow path of grace... There ain't no devil in hell can touch you. And they can't make you sick up there. Did you know that's a wonderful place to walk? To know that you're never going to be sick again? I love it. I want to walk on that path. I don't want to step off of it. I step off of it too often the way it is. But I am working diligently. In fact, last night when me and God was out there in the uh, ministry center working, last night I worked out in the ministry center till 3 a.m. this morning. Uh, on that building because we're trying to get those three bathrooms where we can use at least a couple of them, maybe all three of them before Saturday because we're going to have a house full of people out there and we've only got one bathroom right now so I'm, I'm going to try to get at least a couple more of them working I'm going to do the best I can so we were out there working on that thing and I was talking to the Lord while I was wearing I said Lord if you will help me I'm going to do everything possible if you will fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I don't never step off of that love walk again. I said, Lord, I know I can't do that on my own. It's impossible for me as a human being to do that. But I said, with you, if I can kill myself every day and let you live through me, I know you can do it. And I want to walk in that love walk 24-7 so that when I speak in his name, he will do everything I ask him to do for anybody I pray for. And that's what I want to see. But it requires walking in that love walk. It requires putting God first. I mean, you know, you just have to. It says, let us read a few scriptures that prove that the law is fulfilled by walking in love. Now, Hebrews 8, 7 says, For, the, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then there should be no place have been sought for the second. Isn't that amazing that God made the first knowing that it wasn't going to be perfect. But he still had a plan in what he was doing. Verse 8 says, For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the day comes, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So he's going to make a new covenant. Verse 9 says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand. To lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant. This is the covenant in, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and I will write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Is there anybody in here grateful that he, he has put your sins as far as the east is from the west? Yeah. Let me tell, That's, that's uh, my honey bunny's favorite verse in Psalm 103 verse 12. He put my sin as far as the east is from the west to never remember them again. Yeah. Let me tell you, if there's anything... I don't want to know it's when I get to heaven I don't want to put his arm around me and say well let's see Thurman right here when you were 12 you did this and when you were 13 you did this and when you were 14 you did this and this and this and this I want him to welcome me into the heaven and say woo son come in here look at this your slate is clean oh you're clean and woo is that good news or is that good news that's good news, knowing that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And some of us, some of us have really, for as man's concerned, sinned grossly worse than others. I mean, you think about this woman here in Dallas that had this abortion clinics that killed 35,000 babies before she come to Christ. How would you like to try to step into the kingdom with 35,000 murders on your hand? How would you like to step into the kingdom with just one murder on your hand? I don't think he's going to let you in. But when you repent, now just think. When that woman repented and come to Christ, those 35,000 murders she was responsible for, how many did the Lord forgive her of? Surely he couldn't even do that, could he? Isn't it awesome to think that God can wipe our slate clean? So, for our little nickel-dime sins, all we've got to do is say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I messed up in so many ways. And Lord, forgive me. And he said, fine, I'll wash you in my blood and I will forgive you. And I'll put those as far as the east and the west and I'll never be to remember it again. Now see, that's the way we should do that. Now I see this between a lot of men and women, married men and women. One of them will make a little mistake. I mean, who knows what they might do. Uh, hopefully it's not commit adultery. But they may make a little mistake or something like that. Something the husband doesn't like. And so he kind of gives his wife a hard time about it. And finally they get it resolved and he said, well, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you promise to never do that again, I'm going to forgive you. But if you ever do it again, I'm going to kick you out. Have you ever heard a husband say that to his wife? Yeah, I had a phone call this morning, the one that did that. (laughs) I mean, isn't it amazing? Huh? Yeah, just this morning. I mean, I have all kinds of phone calls. People married together, you know, and they're supposed to be Christians. And the woman makes a mistake or the man makes a mistake. They try to reconcile. No, I ain't going to reconcile. I'm kicking you out. I'm going to ask God to forgive me, but I ain't going to ask you to forgive me because I don't care if you forgive me or not. He's really walking in love, isn't he? Isn't he? No, he don't know what it is. Now then... When we make a mistake, aren't we glad God forgives us and forgets? So when we make another mistake down the road down here, maybe the same mistake. You say, oh God, I'm so sorry, Lord, I messed up again. He said, what do you mean again? This is the first time. Oh no, Lord, don't you remember two years ago I did the same thing? He says, "Uh, no, that slate's clean. I don't find it. You repented. Obviously, he said, and I put it as far as east in the west. No, I never remember it again. So, no, this is the first time. Well, Lord, forgive me this time. He said, "Okay, go and sin no more. We'll wash it again." You know, but he said, "Don't sin again." You know, you know, do your best to walk in love. Aren't we glad? But see, when people say, "Well, I come home every day and I repent of all my sins every day," no, 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 that should not be the case. When you come home every day, praise the Lord that his blood continuously cleanses you from all unrighteousness because you're walking in the Spirit. So you're not sinning. So he says, if you walk in the Spirit, the blood of Jesus continuously cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So you don't have to repent when you come home at night. You know, when I come home and with my honey bunny over here, I don't have to tell her, I'm sorry, I messed up five times a day. You know, I don't have to say, well, oh, honey, forgive me for looking at those other three girls at church tonight. But well, I didn't look at any. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't do that. You see where I'm coming from? So you don't have to repent. So you walk in love. That sound? What? Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. When you walk in the Spirit. In fact, I'll go over there and read it to you. Romans 8. Romans, I believe it's in Romans 8. And I said that. I'm pretty sure that's where it's at. Romans chapter 8. Let's find that. Romans 8. It says, uh, uh, let's see. 8, 13. No, it's not Romans 13. I know Romans 13 is all about uh, laws and keeping the law. Uh, but in, in Romans eight one says, "There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law." might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And let's see. And uh, well, I thought that was right there. And I still think it's right there somewhere. I I know that's right there somewhere. I I know it's in Romans 8 somewhere. But uh, I will find it for you before next week. I I won't get totally off of this, but it's in there somewhere. I do know that if you walk in the Spirit, and I bet it's in Romans 8 somewhere. I just didn't have time, but I'll find it for you. But if you walk in the Spirit, the blood of Jesus continuously cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Does anybody know where that verse is at? Anybody know? I thought maybe somebody else would know that, but First John, First John one nine, yeah, but that's not the one I'm talking about. <clears throat> yeah, that's not the one I'm talking about. I knew that one very well, but there's another one in there that says, "If you walk in the Spirit, the blood of Jesus continuously cleanses you from all unrighteousness." Sir, That's in first, yeah. it is in first John. OK, well, well, somebody, somebody or some several of y'all find that for me and find it next Tuesday night and we'll bring it to Bible study and we'll have it. <coughs> and uh, we were at Hebrews uh, 10. OK, we OK, we finished verse 13 and eight, didn't we? Hebrews eight. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, we were in Hebrews 8. Okay, we just finished verse 13. The new covenant he has made the first And Verse 13 says, In that he saith, a new covenant he has made the first old. Now that which decayed and waxed old is ready to vanish away. And so that's what he come to do is to fulfill the law and to give us a new covenant. Now in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 7 says, Then said I, lo, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Then he says, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, Thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, in verse 9, he taketh away the first covenant, and he makes establish the second covenant. That's what Jesus came to do. Verse ten, by the which will we are, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is a covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now then, if under this new covenant he puts his laws in our mind and in our heart, as we, as we are Christians, when he puts the Spirit of the living God in you, let me ask you this question. When you get saved, even before you really get the knowledge of the Word of God in you, if you go to do something and it is sin, the Holy Spirit knows it's sin, is there some little prompting telling you, don't do that? You've had that experience, haven't you, Brother David? I've had that experience. Anybody else in here? Donna, you ever had that experience? And you've had that experience too. Well, when we get that bumpy, we ain't supposed to do it, are we? Amen. But sometimes we go ahead and do it anyway, don't we? He makes me go back and correct it. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about it is, by having, as Christians, as new creatures in Christ, when we start to do something that's wrong, there will always be the Holy Spirit there that'll tell you, hey, hold it, hold it, hold it. Or another thing the Holy Spirit will do for you. He'll prompt you many times to go do something for someone else. And, of course, a lot of women call this women's intuition. But it's not. It's the Spirit of God. You know, here, and He does this for men, and men will say, well, you know, I just had this feeling. I need to go do this. No, it wasn't a feeling. It was the Holy Spirit talking to you. And it's amazing how many times He will guide you if you will listen. Listen. He'll tell you what to do. He'll even tell you, you would be driving down the road and all of a sudden a little thought will come to your mind. You know, Thurman, you need to turn right right here and go down and see Brother John down there. You heard last week he wasn't feeling real well. So you ought to go visit and pray over him. And then right behind it, there's another little voice that says, but you know, you're on your way to church. And if you go, you might be late for church. Now, who do you think those two voices are? Who was the first one? It was God. Who was the second one? The devil. That's exactly right. He'll, do, he'll always be there. When God is prompting you, there will be another voice right behind it, trying to get you to not do what the first one told you to do. And so many times, we fail. We miss it. It's just like one day, I think about how many times the Lord has spoken to me and told me things, and I think about this one young man that fell in love with this girl in high school. And, I mean... Several of his members of his class in the football squad told him, said, she's not any good. Said, she's sleeping around with all kinds of boys. Said, you don't need to go with her. He said, she wouldn't do nothing like that. She goes to church. Well, he was beginning to fall deeply in love with this girl. And he was a great Christian young man. He really loved God. He wouldn't think about it. He never touched her. He never thought about having sex with her. He said, I would never touch a woman until I marry her. One night he's getting ready to leave to go somewhere and the Holy Spirit spoke, told him, "Drive around behind the gym and Susie and Dave are around behind the gym. And he thought, never, but he drove around behind the gym and as he drove around his car lights fell right upon them, and there they were doing something they was not supposed to be doing around there in the dark. So see, the Holy Spirit in you, he will keep you from doing things wrong. This boy was falling in love with a girl that was not a good Christian girl. And God did not want that young boy, a clean, pure young boy, to marry that girl. He knew what she was doing. And so he revealed it to him. And he drove around behind there. And there she was with a boy doing something she was not supposed to be doing. And he drove right up and saw him doing it. So, thank goodness for the Holy Ghost. Thank goodness for the Holy Spirit. He will direct you and direct your path. Now that it says here after in Hebrews ten, he's going to establish this new covenant. It says after he said this is a covenant I will make you, I'll put my laws in your heart and write them in your minds, and then your sins and iniquities I well, remember no more. Now here's the thing about this new covenant. Regardless of how many sins you got, when you come to Christ and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what you have done. He forgives every sin you've ever committed at that point and makes you a new creature. But now then, when he delivers you from the kingdom of darkness and translates you into the kingdom of light, how much does he plan on you sinning after that day? None. You're not supposed to sin anymore. That's where most Christians miss it. We think that if we lived in sin before, I mean, we're saved now, it's okay, We can go ahead and keep on sinning. But that's not true. We're supposed to be a new creature now. The old creature that used to do all that lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery and all this stuff. That that creature was supposed to have died. And you're supposed to be a new one now. And a new creature is supposed to want to love God. It's supposed to want to go to church. It's supposed to want to study the Word of God. But what happens if you don't get into the word and teach people these things and they don't renew their mind every day with this new covenant, that devil will continue to work on the flesh and the flesh will continue to want to do what it did wrong before. And that's why right there so many people. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, I, I, I want you to go to church with me this Sunday? What? Go to church with you? I don't know half a dozen people go down to your church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. I ain't going to go down there. You know, I mean, They're hypocrites. I mean, they go to church on Sunday, and they're out lying, cheating, and stealing, and doing all this stuff during the week. I mean, that guy owned a car lot down there, and he goes to your church every Sunday. And I went down, and he sold me a junk car, and then when I bought it, and it fell apart the second day, he wouldn't do a thing about it. He said, he's a hypocrite. No, he's not really a hypocrite. He's never renewed his mind with the Word of God. So, he's totally led by the flesh. He's carnally minded. That's what's wrong with him. And so, he's not listening to the Spirit at all. Now, don't let the devil try to bring up your old sins, because he will try. Because God is not remembering your sin of the past. Praise his holy name. But now then, if you commit a new sin, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to repent. Or that sin is held against you. You have to repent and stop sinning. Now then, let's look what, and see what James called this law of love. Let's go over to James chapter 2 verse 8. James 2 8, it says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. Now James called this new covenant a royal law. In James 2 8, if, here again, this great big word, it's amazing how many times this word's used in the Bible. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the royal law. He says you do well. What if you don't do that? Then you don't do well. You know, you've got to do what God says. But... If you have respect to persons, this if and but gets us in real big trouble. But, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. Uh Uh-oh. You mean, if I go over here and here is a man that's I know he walks in, he's got a $5,000 suit on, he's got diamonds dripping off, let me come over and shake your hand. Let me see who you are. But here comes a little common guy like David in here. And I say, oh, you know, forget him. Hey, I don't need to shake his hand. <laughs> Go sit <in> the back. <laughs> if we even think like that, what does God say we're doing in this royal law? We're sinning. In other words, you treat everybody exactly the same. I mean, it makes no difference if a guy comes in with a $5,000 suit on or the little guy comes in with a pair of ragged blue jeans on. You treat them all the same. If you do, if you do, you're fulfilling this royal law. And you're not sinning. But if you have respect of persons, you are sinning. Oh, I want to get close to him because he's so nice. But this guy over here, I can't stand him. Hey, you are sinning. You gotta treat everybody the same. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as a transgressor. You just fell from grace. And you fell out in the snake pit. And then beasts are running around biting you on the toe. I don't want to do that, do you? Absolutely not. Now then, if you're walking in love, if you're walking in love, you will not steal, you will not lie, or any other bad thing to anyone. If you're walking in love. Now, God told us way back in the Old Testament, He was going to do all these wonderful things. He said way back there. In fact, I'm going to go back to one of those, one or two of those verses. I'm going to read them to you. God tells us way back in the past what He's going to do in the future. Now, only He can do that. Now, anybody can read this book and has seen what's happened over history, and don't believe there's a God. Let me tell you, you got a major problem. I mean, if you have to be convinced there's a God, if you've read the Bible, you didn't you didn't read it, you didn't learn nothing. You go back over in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 10, and you're going to see where he made these kind of statements. And when you think at uh, everything God said in the Old Covenant, everything and all the statutes and commandments and Everything else, all the prophecies and everything he said, most of those have come to pass exactly like he said. Exactly. It's amazing that so many of these prophecies have been fulfilled. In fact, I heard a preacher on radio one day talking about the one statement about whenever the Lord told Daniel, whenever the king Arterexes would come on the scene in a couple hundred years, and, and he would give a command to rebuild and restore the wall in Jerusalem, and from the day that command was given, it would be forty-nine years, and then another uh, a group of years until four hundred and eighty—was it eighty-one or eighty-three? I forget now. Years would pass, and then the Messiah would ride into the streets of Jerusalem and be cut off, not for his sins, but for the sins of many. And I thought, he—I thought, you know, that's an awesome statement. And when he told that, I mean, the average person, when you read that in the Book of Daniel, you would think. He had to have known all this, and this had to happen because nobody could know those kind of things. But God did, and that came to pass exactly, you tell, I'm going to say that about 200 years now, is going to be a guy born by the name of David. I'm going to give his full name. I'm going to tell you he's going to be a king. I'm going to tell you where he's going to live, what country. Then I'm going to tell you he's going to give a command to rebuild and restore the wall in Jerusalem. And from that day until the wall rebuilt, it's going to be 49 years. Then from the day that's finished, until Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it's going to be 483 total years. What do you think the chances of something like that coming to pass by an average individual? But it came to pass to the day. Exactly every bit of it. I heard a preacher on radio saying one day that they'd done some odds, you know, with numbers. And the chances of that just happening would be if you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars, three foot thick. And then you put one gold, $20 gold piece in it, and you dropped it out in all this when you were dropping all of these silver dollars to cover the state of Texas three feet deep. And he said, somebody flies you over the state of Texas in a 747, and you say, okay, right here, I'm going to pull the plug and I'm going to jump out with a parachute and I'm going to go down right here and you land and you reach down and you pick up and you get that one $20 gold piece out of all the millions and billions of, of silver dollars. He said, that's the odds of this just happening. That's pretty far-fetched, isn't it? But think, God told us all these things in advance. All of them. And he says in Ezekiel 11:19, and I will give them one heart and i will put a new spirit within you and i will take the stony heart out of their flesh and i will give them a heart of flesh he said that in ezekiel 11:19 then in ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 he said then will i sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all of your filthiness and from all your idols will i cleanse you "...a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I give you to your fathers, and you shall be my people." And I will be your God. Do you know that's come to pass? We have that today. He has given that to us as his children. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now Jeremiah also prophesied about the new covenant in Jeremiah thirty one thirty three. It's amazing what these Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says in verse thirty one thirty three, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This has come to pass. Verse 34 And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. I'm glad of that, ain't you? I mean, I am grateful for those promises. But in Hebrews six and Hebrews, or Hebrews eight, here the writer is talking to the church, so the new covenant is for us, the church. In Hebrews chapter eight, verse ten, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. We are His people. The church of the living God is his people. And he's living in us. Now then, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says, "...and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost." Now then, if you don't have the love of God in your heart, and you can't love people, if you're mean and wicked, and you're talking evil about people all the time... You need to ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Ghost, you can't love your neighbor as yourself. Only the Holy Ghost can control you. I mean, just like the book of James, he said, no man can control the tongue. So if no man can control the tongue, then why try? You can't. But when you get the Holy Ghost, he can control the tongue. He can control what you say. And when you walk in the God kind of love... When you get the Holy Ghost in you. And he says in Romans 5, five, And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost. Which is given unto us. Oh, If you really want that power. You be an obedient Christian. You love him. You serve him. You worship him. Because he said in the book of Acts. I give the Holy Ghost to those that obey me. I mean, you know, if you've got, you got a real good gift and you want to give to your children, I mean, you know, you hate to be a respecter of persons, but if you had two sons or two daughters or whatever, two children, and one of them was totally mean and wicked, wouldn't do nothing you asked them to do, and spent every nickel foolishly and couldn't hold on to a penny. Till, I mean, you give them $1,000 a day, they're broke with another $1,000 spent behind it tomorrow. But the other one was a good manager took care of it. If you were going to leave a will, would you leave equal amounts to both of those two children? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If that that, that one that spent money foolishly and didn't do anything right, that didn't love me, that didn't show show any respect to me, I certainly wouldn't leave them half of my will. You know? But if they both loved me and both respected me, then I'd leave them equal parts. You think God's going to trust you with His power if He can't trust you to walk holy before Him? No, absolutely not. You know, if you're going down here living uh, like a, a heathen, you know, I mean, you know, if you can't tell, you from the rest of the heathens on the street, you know, you're lying, cheating, and stealing, and doing the things, and you're telling the same dirty jokes, and you're looking at the same pornography at night that all the other guys come in, and you're all talking about this nonsense you see on the TV shows, and all the junk of the world, and you don't ever talk about Jesus, it ain't going to do no good to pray for somebody when they need something. Because God ain't going to answer your prayer. But if you're walking holy in obedience to his word, and they say, oh, gosh, there's old David, that holy guy. That's all he talks about is Jesus. You know, don't stay too close to him, because he won't tell dirty jokes with you like the rest of us, you know. He's one of them Jesus freaks, you know, one of them guys that, you know, they got a little something wrong up here, you know. But one day when they have a real need or they come down with cancer or sickness, they said, somebody said, you know, I went over to David's office and he prayed for me and I got well. The guy comes over and said, David, could I talk to you a minute? Maybe you ain't as crazy as I thought you was. It's amazing, isn't it, whenever they have a need They come to those men and women that they laughed at. But now then, this is a perfect time for us to show them the love of God, isn't it? Because God would forgive them, so we pray for them and we get them healed. And man, have I seen that happen a lot of times. It's wonderful to see the Lord do that. Then in Galatians chapter 5 verse 14, it says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills the law. So, if you love, now if you don't know what love is, you need to turn to, not tonight, we're not going to teach this tonight. But if you don't know what love is, you can always turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and read the first eight verses. And that's what love is. First Corinthians 13, the first eight verses. That's where you find out what the God kind of love is. Somebody says, I could have never, no wise, ever meet that criteria. Well, you need to get saved. If you get saved and the Holy Ghost is in there controlling you, then you can do that. Because of the Holy Ghost, the love of God, which is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost so that we can love the brethren. So if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can't do this. Then 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 1. Awesome statements about love. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I mean, in the Old Testament, we were slaves. When he came to the New Testament, when Jesus was here under the law, he had friends, but no children. But when he died on that cross and arose again from the dead, then... We stepped into a world that no other people ever on this face of this earth has had the privilege to be. And that is to become children of the Most High God. That, that is a privilege. We, we speak that so flippantly, but that is so powerful. We are now children of the Most High God. And all the promises of God under the new covenant belong to you. And when you speak in his name, when you walk like he says, you can speak in his name, and he'll do awesome things, won't he, Gloria? Woo, won't he do awesome things. I love to see these. I love to get these praise reports back. that Somebody said, I called and talked to Gloria in your ministry. And she prayed for me and said, i never seen a woman so on fire for Jesus. I love it. And she prayed for me, and this happened. Well, that girl walks holy before God. That's when she gets her prayers answered. She's a ball of fire. Now, everybody that's a Christian should desire to be just like Jesus. I started to say just like Gloria. But Gloria's desiring to be just like Jesus. And so you need to desire to be just like Jesus. But that's where she's going. You know, that's where we should be, right, Donna? We don't ever look to another human being We except Jesus. We should be desiring to be just like our king. And I know that's what Gloria's desire is. But that's what all of us out at the Living Savior is desiring to do. We're all trying our best to be like Jesus, you know. Now some of them out there is approaching near perfect, but I'm working on it. I'm kind of doubt coming up the line. They have to keep slapping me on the backside to keep me straight. <laughs> and I got so many ladies out there that sure keep me straight. Me and Phil were the only two guys out there. Well, I'll take that back. Dave Rosenfeld. he's out there a lot too, but uh, he's, he's, uh, he's pretty good shape, you know, so. But anyway, these girls, they keep us straight. But First John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. When it becomes a revelation to you that you're a child of the King, and all his promises and all his power is to his obedient children, when you get a hold of that, that's when you can reach up and grab a hold of that little girl or that old man. I think about I think about uh, uh, this gentleman down here from south of Dallas here, Orville. Whenever Orville came to me, he was a truck driver. Seven years ago. And when he came that day to a healing school over in Hearst, he said, Thurman, I've heard about you, I'm a Southern Baptist, and I heard you're a Baptist. And so he said... I've got carpal tunnel so bad I can't squeeze the steering wheel of my truck. I'm a truck driver and said I'm having trouble passing the test to be able to drive the truck because I can't grip the steering wheel anymore because carpal tunnel's so bad. I said, well, let's come to the healing school and listen. And so at the intermission, he and his wife both had already realized they had sins they need to get rid of. So they went outside at the intermission and got right with God. Then they came back in and listened to the next hour and a half. And then when I said, Now who wants to be healed? He was the first one, jumped up. He's a great big old guy. He jumped up and said, I want to be first. I said, What's wrong with you? He actually didn't hardly get out of the pew, he's just standing up there. He said, I got a carpal tunnel now so bad I can't even close my fist. I just reached up, I said, You got your sins repented up? He said, Yes. I reached up and grabbed him wrists. I said, You devil hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. I said, Now Jesus Christ has healed you and he says, Krush! He said, Wow. It lit Arvel's fire. So much. he, I think he got every tape and everything I had at the time, and he's got every one since, and he listened to that teaching. And I'm telling you, some of you were here the other day at a heathen school when he got up here and for 30 minutes or an hour, told us about miracles. He's seen God do himself in his little Baptist church. And he's just a deacon down there, a Sunday school teacher. No, I take it back. He's not even a deacon. He's an RA director. That's what he is. But his prayers, he has seen blind eyes open. He's seen v- heart vows change. He's seen God do all kinds of things. He just got a hold of the power of God. This new covenant that we become sons of God. Or we'll realize who he was. I'm a child of God. These promises are to me. I don't have to beg God for nothing no more. All i got to do is repent of my sins, walk holy before Him. And He gives me His power. And all you do is act on it. Beloved, Verse 2, now are we the sons of God. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a son or a daughter of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be just like Jesus. What a privilege, Ruth. What a privilege. Romans twelve eleven. Now then because of all this in Romans 12:11 it says or Romans 12:1 excuse me Romans 12:1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service Present your bodies don't present yourself in all of your sin When you get saved, change. You know, stop being a sinner. Stop hanging out with sinners. Get you a new bunch of friends. If you're still hanging out with friends that are taking you to the wrong place, doing the wrong things, you really need to put the Word of God in your heart and you need to be changed. If you still enjoy living in sin, you really might not have got saved. You need to make sure that you know the King of Kings, that you become a new creature in Christ. That you have the Holy Spirit and that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart that you can love the brethren. If you know these things, you'll speak these things and it will come to pass. Then it says in verse 2, after it says, "...Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God." In verse 2 it says, "...And be not conformed unto the world." but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, you will have plenty of chances to put yourself to the test. The devil and the flesh will see to it. Surround yourself with people of faith. Surround yourself with people that love God. And that will walk in the power of God. And you will see your life change for the better. That's why God says go to church. Stop hanging out with that crowd. Of friends that want to give you drugs. They want you to go down to the bar and get drunk and wiped out. Or want you to smoke a cigarette or a dope cigarette with them. They ain't your friends. That'd burn out your brain. That'll cause all kinds of problems. You know, I have been given, praise God, a very intelligent, quick-thinking brain. You know why? I have never abused it with the sins of the world. No smoking, no drinking, no drugs, nothing. I've only put fairly decent food in my body, and therefore my brain has not been able to be destroyed by the forces of darkness. And so, therefore, I can recall things. I mean, when I was in the engineering world, I could pull up formulas and quote things, and guys would say, how in the world do you do this? I said, it was very simple. I have the mind of Christ. You know, no problem. You know, somebody says, well, gee whiz. You know, he said, man, you know a lot about refrigeration systems. He said, man, I forgot nearly everything I knew about refrigeration systems. I said, that's your problem. You tell yourself you forget. I don't never forget anything. If I ever learned it, it's still in there. You won't never hear me say, I forget. I know I've forgotten that. No, i got it. It's in there. I just need to recall it. And you can do all things through Christ. Learn to speak to your body. You've got a new covenant. You've been made a child of God with the mind of Christ. What can I do? Anything I want to do in the name of Jesus. Nothing is impossible with me. You mean you think you could design a piece of equipment? Sure. You think you could design and build an electronic circuit? Sure. You think you could build and design a radio? Sure. think you could build and design a television? Sure. I've done it. You think you can fly a jet airplane? Yeah, any one of them. Don't make any difference. Big ones, little ones. You think you can work on them? Sure. You think you can work on a car? Ain't nothing on a car I couldn't fix. I thought today as I was walking through my shop and seeing all the tools and everything, I thought, you know, I sure used to enjoy working on them cars, overhauling them automatic transmission. But I said, Lord, that's past. I ain't got time for that stuff no more. I ain't got time for that no more. I don't. I got too many other things I'd rather be doing. I'd rather be doing things for the kingdom. There's a lot of younger men out there that still are ready to work on cars that are really willing to work on mine. I don't have to work on mine no more. Not very often, because I got more things to do, things that are more important. But can I still do that? Sure, I could. You know, what can you do as a child of God? Anything you set your mind to, right, Brother David? Yeah, ain't nothing hard. We can do it because we're children of God. We've got a new covenant with the king and he put his mind in you and his spirit in you. And with that spirit living in you, there ain't nothing impossible with you if you just believe him. You learn to talk. Nothing's impossible. And keep yourself clean and pure. Keep yourself holy. Don't feed yourself drugs and alcohol into the junk of the world. That'll burn out your brain. That's what the devil wants to do. He'd love for you to get on something, some kind of drug or something where you can burn your brain out. And if you've ever been to one of these institutions where they got these children that are teenagers that have burned their brain out, anybody ever been in one of them in in the institutions? Several of you have. Isn't it awesome to walk in and see a precious little boy or girl that's 12, 15, 18, 20 years old, that's going to be mentally incapacitated and not ever going to be able to do anything however many years they live. Burned out. Brain. The devils of hell has ruined their mind because they didn't know what we're talking about here in this scripture tonight. Never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And unfortunately, some of those children say they have accepted Jesus, but they never renewed their mind and they got back under the devil's world and he killed them. How sad. <clears throat> How sad. Like I say, you'll have plenty of chances to put yourself to the test. The devil in the flesh will absolutely see to it. This piece of flesh that you live in is even more wicked than the devil. It wants its own way, and it's going to have it if it can. It will rise up. It will not live in the love of God. But you'll get a chance to prove it. Now then in Romans 13.8 Jesus makes us a promise. Makes us a statement I guess I should say. Romans thirteen eight. Oh, no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. I mean it's all over the place. Owe oh, no man anything but to love one another. So what are we as Christians supposed to do? Love. Is that so hard? Not at all. Not, Not all. really? If we let the Holy Spirit have control. Now, if we let the flesh get in there, that beast can be wicked. That's a different story. Yep, that beast, you can let that beast rise up in you. and he, Oh! D- Donna, does it take... Some kind of effort to keep that beast under control. Sometimes. Donna and I must be just alike. I have that same problem. Sometimes that beast wants to rise up and the love of God wants to go. And the love of God, he's over there strangling me saying, son, pay attention. And that flesh is... You have to take control of it. Anybody in here ever had that trouble besides me? Some of y'all have, huh? And the rest of you are lying. (laughs) We've all had that trouble because we're flesh. We're flesh. And that beast wants to rise up once in a while, don't he, Michael? Oh, Lord, let's don't confess that. (laughs) Every day. Oh, my goodness, Lord. We repent, Lord. We didn't mean that every day. (laughs) Sometimes it is true. Sometimes, yeah, that beast. I mean, it's amazing what somebody can say to you, and you can just go off on a tangent. You'd be having a good day until all of a sudden somebody says something, man, you're off on a tangent. Can't we? Yeah. Yep, you're having a great day, and everything's working perfect. You even get out talking to somebody about Jesus, and everything's going good. And somebody makes the wrong kind of statement, and you're off into oblivion. All of a sudden, you're. I mean, it happens. It happens to me. But we go. Like I say, last night. It must have been 2 o'clock this morning. Me and the Lord's out there. I'm up on that nailing some electric boxes on and running somewhere. And everything. I said, Lord, I want to walk in your love. Oh, Lord, how I want to walk in your love. I want to do this, Lord. But I said, I realize I can't do it. But I know the Holy Ghost in me can. I said, Lord, please kill this thing every day. Kill him. Drive him down in the ground. And just let you live through me so I can do it. That's the way to get it done, right? you are got to kill this beast. If you don't crucify this thing every day, this thing will rise up like Michael said. Every day it will rise up and say, No, I ain't going there. It will take you down. But if you'll kill it, if you'll let the Holy Spirit kill it, and you'll let Him live through you, as long as He's alive, you can walk in that God kind of life. Father, we thank You and praise You for this Scripture, the Word of God, that You've given us all about The new covenant tonight and this magnificent promise of this new covenant and what we can do as children. I mean, we're not slaves anymore. We're not even friends. We are children of the new covenant. And you have forgiven all of our iniquities and all of our sins and to remember our past sins no more. You've washed us in the blood of Jesus. Oh, Father, help us now to walk this week holy in obedience to your word And walk in love and let us be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's love and power so that others around us will know that you live because of the love and the power that we walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.